You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, my name is Christina Louie. I'm the Alumni and Church Involvement Officer at Regent College, and I am the host for today's Regent College Podcast. I am joined by Ross Hastings. Hi. And Daryl Johnson. Hello. Hello, and we are going to be talking about leadership today, and specifically about church leaders and the need for folks like that to gather from time to time. So just by way of introduction, Ross Hastings is Regent's current um, newly appointed full professor of theology. He just received that. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. He's a Zimbabwean Scot with PhDs in both chemistry and theology. And in addition to teaching in both of those areas, he has served as a senior pastor in several churches, most recently at Peace Portal Alliance Church in White Rock, British Columbia, for about 11 years. You can find Ross on Twitter at W. Ross Hastings. Go ahead, follow him. Uh, Daryl Johnson, he joined the faculty of Regent College in the fall of 2000. Before moving to Vancouver, he served as preaching pastor and senior minister for a number of Presbyterian churches around the states, as well as for Union Church of Manila in the Philippines during the so-called People Power Revolution in the 1980s. During Daryl's full-time service with Regent, he taught many courses and oversaw our MDiv program. In 2009, he stepped down from full-time role at Regent to serve as senior pastor of First Baptist Church in downtown Vancouver. He then quote-unquote, retired from that role in 2016 and is now engaged in writing, itinerant preaching, mentoring young preachers, and serving Regent as a teaching fellow. Both Ross and Daryl have penned a number of books, which I'm sure our dear listeners have read. Some titles you might recognize include Ross's Missional God, Missional Church, Where Do Broken Hearts Go? A Theology and Psychology of Grief, and most recently, Echoes of Coherence, Trinitarian Theology and Science Together. And you probably have read some of Daryl's works, including Discipleship on the Edge, which is a book about the book of Revelation, Living in Sync on the Beatitudes, 57 Words that Change the World on the Lord's Prayer, and the Glory of Preaching. So I'm so glad to be here with the both of you. Ross and Daryl, you've definitely, from just from the brief CVs that I read out there, it's clear that you've both been in Christian leadership for a long time. Um, And so I kind of want to start there. I want to start with hearing uh, some of your journey and perspectives on leadership. So Daryl, maybe I'll start with you. How have you been formed as a leader in your own life and work? That's a good question. And especially since I've been doing this now 50 years. 50? 50 years. Amazing. Amazing, Um, I'm coming up on April 4th. Uh, which is 50 years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And it was that night that I surrendered to the call to preach. So um, I've been walking this now for five decades. And to think back then, how I've been formed, I would think uh, in three ways. These These are broad strokes, of course. The first is I was taken under wing by an older pastor, two older pastors, actually, um, and they invested in me. They, they, they helped me see how I was gifted and not gifted. In fact, I wished I had listened to one of them long ago. I wouldn't have tried to do some of the things I've tried to do. Um, so uh, these two people spent time with me and really gave themselves to me, which is what I'm hoping to do now in the, in the next decades. That's Um, your heart for mentoring coming out. Right, and that's growing more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Um, The second way in which I was formed was seminary. Um, I had the privilege of going to Fuller Seminary. Wonderful. um, 
And it, the, Fuller gave me um, solid um, biblical theology, mm-hmm. um, a robust understanding of the gospel, and introduced me into the theology of the kingdom, which have then formed me ever since. And then the other uh, factor of forming is simply doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, learning to preach, do pastoral care, do administration, um, and do it in the warp and woof of, of parish life. Mm-hmm. And there's really no substitute for simply stepping into the waters and learning how to swim. Yeah, and I think that brings out our great sense of trust that we have to build as we form ourselves as Christian leaders. I mean, the only way you can do some of those things is to know that actually God is the one in control and they're his people. Yeah, right? yes. Yeah, and Ross, what, what about you? Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, for sure. Um, my father was a missionary um, who was a very wonderful preacher, he just passed away actually a month ago. Yeah, I'm sorry. And although we come, we are now, I, I am now in a very different uh, tradition and ecclesiology and polity than he ever believed in, um, his preaching uh, inspired me from the time I can remember, really. He's the kind of preacher who made you sit on the edge of your seat. And so the passion for preaching, I think, came all the way back to wow. those days. Also at the age of nine, I, I made my profession of faith um, at a little brethren assembly in Scotland with one of the, a preacher I'm not sure I've ever heard the equal of. His name was Davy Craig. They called him Scotch Davy. He lived in Ireland, but he was Scottish. <laughs> and, um, you know, hearing him declare the gospel and speak about Christ dying for our sins, I was so moved. Um, I whispered to my dad, I said, I'd like to, I'd like to become a Christian tonight. And, um, and so he, uh, this preacher came down and led me to Christ using the words of John 3.16, so the preaching aspect of Christian leadership has always been there. It's been a, a huge, a huge influence on me. Um, I think in terms of becoming a Christian leader, probably uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was very important. So I think of books and people. Yep. Bo- books influenced me. I didn't come from a tradition of a tradition of pastoral leadership. It was all lay leadership in the tradition I grew up in. And to read Charles Spurgeon talking about the call to the pastorate and saying something like, "If you can really do anything else, then go do it." Um, it gave me a sense of how much this passion lived within me. Mm. I think I gained a vision also for expository preaching through listening to people like John MacArthur back in those days. Um, and I went to Dallas Seminary for a year as well, mm-hmm. and um, there's a, a tremendous passion there for expository preaching before I came to, to Regent. Um, Ross, you, yeah. so you mentioned that you don't come from a tradition that really had a history of pastoral no. leadership. It was really lay leadership. Yes. And, and so I'm wondering if you could talk just, what is the difference between sort of a Christian leader or, or a lay leader and a pastor? Right. How do we hold those things in well, balance? Well, in, in that tradition, uh, you know, there are no so-called full-time pastors. There might be full-time workers who travel around, but they thought of the elder as being the, the sort of person who has a job. Mm-hmm. Sort of, they're bi- bivocational. Um, I mean, I left that tradition because I do think there is a place for the pastor who who, who cares as an elder, who preaches and devotes uh, herself or himself to the work of the ministry. Right. And, and so um, the strength of that tradition was it raised lay people who really knew their Bibles Yeah. Uh, in a way that I don't know I see in the church today. We tend to be quite passive when we come to church. We want the pastor to do it for us rather than being those who are self-discoverers of the word. Um, but uh, so my my, uh, my appreciation for the pastorate was not from that heritage. It came mm-hmm. rather from 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 books I read and and, and uh, 
Um, I think in terms of when I became a, a pastor, became a Christian leader, I think the part, one of the really big influencers on my thought of the church leading it missionally came from Karl Barth, mm. who I studied in my PhD at St. Andrews. One of his great sayings was that the church is her true self when she exists for humanity. Um, and having that orientation towards the world, similar to your kingdom perspective, Daryl, uh, that you learned at, um, at, at Fuller, having, having a deep life in the church. And I think leaders are meant to encourage deep life in the church, but that deep life needs to spill over mm-hmm. uh, into the public square and into um, you know, discipleship, evangelism, social justice, compassion, and, uh, and influence in the public square. So I just want to um, hone in a little more on sort of that clergy-laity issue. You know, we, we're here at Regent, um, famous really for the desire to train the laity and to have that biblically literate, theologically-minded laity. Yet at the same time, somewhere in our history, we took on this call to an annual pastor's conference. Daryl, can you tell us a little bit about the history there? I'm not sure of, the to- of all the history. Uh, when I came here in 2000, I think they, uh, the college had already had three or four pastors' conferences, um, and then I was asked to start leading it, and, um, and, and I had no trouble putting that together because uh, the call to pastor is a call to equip the saints for ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, regions uniquely posed then to make sure that when we have a uh, discussion about the role of pastor, it's going to be radically lay-oriented. The, the way I like to put it is the success of a pastor's ministry is not measured by how famous she or he becomes or how well-known they are. The success of a pastor's ministry is how effective laity are in their ministries. Mm. Um, the effect, the, the success of my sermon isn't measured by, oh, great sermon, Daryl, but did the lawyer who was there, was that lawyer in, in, emboldened uh, for their, their ministry? Was the school teacher emboldened? Was the housewife emboldened? Um, so I'm constantly looking for the fruit of it outside the church, if you will, uh, yeah. in the public square. Um, so um, nevertheless, there are unique pressures and unique demands, unique struggles that pastors uh, face in the midst of all of this. So I, I think the college felt we need to then um, find a way to bring pastors together to talk about those struggles. Um, always with um, the goal that this is about the equipping of the saints for ministry, Ephesians 4. I, I love that concept, Daryl. And when you talk about preaching, I think um, I agree with you in terms of that's the goal of preaching. I think a sort of sub goal within that is when you preach, are you helping the people of God? be able to actually grasp the text for themselves. It's, it's not showing off your masterful exegesis, which there should be masterful exegesis, don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, have has the way in which you've approached the text enabled the people of God to approach the text and say, I can do that. I can I can um I can come at that text and I can begin to understand that text and uh, grapple with it and have it form me. That's, that's a great context. In well, that way, sense, sorry. That's okay. The way I put it then is that after um, a worship service, persons ought to be able to go home at lunch or go out to a restaurant, open their Bibles, and be able to say why 
I said what I said yes, from that text. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so now they know how to read that. That's what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And they know how to apply that for themselves. Yeah. Um, so we're raising up a whole bunch of um, lay biblical theologians <laughs> who can think theologically exactly. about their lives. Yeah, that's right? exciting. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, for sure. How do you guys see that playing out in areas other than the preaching call of a pastor? It's funny, we both oriented towards the preaching. Oh, there's other things to do besides <laughs> preach. <laughs> we both have an orientation towards preaching and Christian leadership. Um, uh-huh. And I'm, I do believe that that is, you know, the primary task um, of, of, of the, the pastor. I mean, there are different types of pastors. There, there are those who have an orientation towards the pastoral and perhaps towards leadership in a way that's primary for them. Mm-hmm. Um, for the kind of pastor, I think both Daryl and I have been, it's been a primary orientation towards preaching and then leadership flowing out of that. I mean, you influence in a leadership way through the preached word, and that, that I think should be primary. But as far as um, leadership of the church at the highest level, a visionary, a visionary level, I think some of that's always been in my soul. Um, I'll confess that I've struggled sometimes with, um, I, I love Eugene Peterson, I love his contemplative approach to ministry, I try to live into that. Mm. But I always wondered how the leadership part, um, so he's saying, you know, don't do much administration, I agree with that. I think one of the, the great tragedies of the North American church is we have too many pastors who are doing administration. But in terms of high-level leadership and missional leadership, how does that work into your life? Um, and I think I've learned a lot from the lay leaders around me. I pastored a church in Montreal, which had um, very powerful lay leaders who were powerful not only in the church, but powerful, and by, by I mean powerful, I mean not, not abusive power, but influential, <laughs> influential in the life of the church and in the, the life of uh, Canada, really. They were... They were powerful leaders, I, I watched, I learned how to, I think, um, I learned process. Mm-hmm. I learned how to give ownership. I learned the dance between the preacher or pastor's vision and the, and the inherent vision of the church. I don't think a leader's meant to show up and pronounce vision. Like yeah. Bonhoeffer had some very stern words about those who wanted to use the church to fulfill their ambition, he called it demonic. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can hear that, hear that warning um, at the same time, there is a place uh, within the heart of, of the pastor for vision that, that, that God does reveal to him. And I think the dance is beautiful when that, that works in harmony with the resident vision, the vision of the elders uh, in a way that's harmonious. Mm-hmm. But it requires a lot of listening as well as speaking. It requires risk. It requires um, having, having empty hands before God and, and allowing him to speak through the people of God, not just through you. I think there is a tension. I mean, you note the the amount of administration that takes time in the North American church. And like, so for myself in my pastoral role, I was not the primary preaching pastor at all. I was pastor of small groups. I was pastor of community life. And I had a huge executive function in there. And so sometimes I struggled with, well, what, what am I actually doing in terms of pastoring the people? Like I'm sitting in front of spreadsheets and organizing rooms at the retreat uh, or figuring out, you know, who's geographically closest to put into which home group. And, and at one sense, I had to really pull back and say, well, these these logistic logistics sometimes you know they were part of stewarding the community they were part of shepherding mm-hmm. and so I had to look at that from a from a different angle um, and take it from a different perspective and and that those types of functions can be done by lay leaders um, but I was given a pastoral title and so I think that I think there is a dance there's there's 
so much in pastoral leadership and in Christian leadership is a dance. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would I I would love hearing your reflections on on the way you bounced back with your lay leaders because I don't think we always get that sense from pastors that they're looking to their lay leadership in that way. Oh boy, can I jump in at that point? I have all the way along. Um, I know I can't do it. Um, I'm keenly aware that I can't do it alone. So I bought into uh, the Presbyterian vision right from the beginning of a plurality of leadership. Right. Um, and then the Baptist church that I served here in Vancouver had that vision of plurality of leadership. Not to be uh, simplistic or reductionistic, but I, I thought in terms of the biblical um, uh, images of leadership, you have prophet, priest, and king, slash queen, <laughs> um, prophet, priest, and king. And um, I, at the beginning of ministry, thought I could function in all three of those ways. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there are very many people who mm-hmm. can. Yeah. So I've come to, to believe that the prophet, priest, king, slash queen role is given to a, multi, a, a group of leaders. Yeah. And so my job is to do what I'm called to do, but then empower the others so that together, a group of six or a group of 12 or a group of 24, whatever, embody all those leadership functions. Mm. And together, Mm. we discern the vision of the congregation. Together, we even articulate that. Together, we assess it. Together, we strategize. Mm. Um, It's when a pastor tries to take that all on him or herself that it doesn't work. It's a formula for burnout. Oh, huge. I I think underlying this is a good point you've made there in terms of pointing to charisms or, or the charismatic giftings of people and 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 you Christina you talked about people have different charisms some people love to pastor all the time or with the people all the time because yeah. they have that charism some actually have the gift of administration and they are empowered by that and and and, and, and enlivened by that um, but I also another window and I appreciate your prophet priest and king it's a very sort of reformed kind of background, I, I, I affirm it completely. I think another sort of charismatic, and I use that with a small c, sense of, of leadership is the fivefold gifting of Ephesians 4. Mm-hmm. All of those gifts, of the fivefold gifts, are, are designed to empower and equip the whole people of God in all of their gifts. And I think the, word, the apostleship one is something I've found very valuable. As I look back on my experience, um, I'm not talking about some kind of sort of... Uh, idea of calling people apostles or and I do recognize that there really were only uh, 12 apostles I would include Paul in that um, <laughs> I do <but> too <laughs> <laughs> then those people don't exist anymore and yet the word apostle small a is used in the New Testament for people like Barnabas and uh, it's a gifting I mm-hmm. think which survives today and when we uh, recognize and utilize it it's very helpful I, I worked with, with the gentleman in my last church at Peace Portal our greatest years were, I believe, a function of many things, but one of them was the chairman of the Board of Elders, Len Hordyke, who's now with the Lord, he uh, he was just, he had this bird's eye view of the church mm-hmm. and a bird's eye view of the city hmm. and um, a way of handling people to defend the pastor's pastor, um, to keep the church in, in a state of unity. I, I, I put down so much of what happened and what was my most fruitful pastoral experience to to him mm. and that apostolic gifting hmm. yeah, so there there's a partnership there's a, it's more of the dance really and i think i think actually that brings us to a bit of an interesting thing in the history of the region pastors conference so in recent years we've sort of added in the line pastors and leaders 
conference. And I just wonder if we could talk a little bit about that. See, to me, and, and of course, the church that I pastored in has very similar roots to Regent College, never actually brethren, but from Plymouth Brethren roots. Um, so there was always really a, a great elevation of the lay person and the lay leader. And so to me, I look at that and I think, wow, that's, that's great. There's this acknowledgement that we can all kind of do the work of leadership together. Um, so that comes out to me in that title, but I don't know if it would come out to everybody in that way. So, Ross? Uh, so, Daryl, I, I, I hear your concern with that, which is let's make sure we validate the ministry and goal of pastors, and sometimes they need to be outside of their church context in order yes. to be ministered to, and I, I hear that. On the other hand, I think especially when... There are a number of reasons I, I, I've thought it important to say church and leaders is because because of this team nature of leadership. And just to be very pragmatic, I think if you're trying to orient the church in a new direction, for example, say you want to you want the people of God to understand the missional dynamic of the church, that the whole people of God are missional, that the church itself is missionary because we belong to the missional God, we're in union with the triune God who's on mission, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the task of the pastor who comes to that conference and gets fired up about the missional is increased if, if uh, she or he has to then go home and try to translate. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you've got five or six leaders with you, they already get the, the vision. Yeah, that's right? been my experience. Right. And also, I mean, and the other thing is, is sometimes congregants hear it better coming from someone different. Absolutely. Right. And, and to hear pastors and leaders grapple with out loud together. Very well put. I'm, I'm on board with that. Mm. Um, I didn't know that's why right. you added that phrase. That makes perfect sense. So, um, like, the, the upcoming one on the public square. Right. I mean, uh, where do our leaders live but in the public square? Right, absolutely. So that's a perfect context right. um, for pastors and leaders to talk together about yeah. that. I mean, I suppose well it does done. depend on the topic in terms of its specificity. If you're doing one in preaching, it it might be more just the pastor, I'm not sure. But if you're doing one on the public square, as, as you say, it would be lovely to have the lawyers, the um, and maybe politicians in the church, but being in the public square is not just about politicians, Christian politicians, it's about everybody. Um, knowing how to translate the gospel in the public square, mm -hmm. how, to, how to be winsome and shalom-filled in the public square, those things are really important. They're, they're essential to the core of Christian witness. Absolutely. But I am curious, though, in what ways would it be a unique or a different gathering of people if it really was only pastors? Where's, where's the strength in that? Because I think that, that there's some strength there, too. What have you seen maybe in your own life, Daryl? It's oh, a good question. <laughs> Um, this may be actually a problem, <laughs> but pastors need a place to lament mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. um, I say that carefully because in in lamenting the state of the church or the concerns of the church, you you you've got to guard your soul that you never become critical of the church. Um, you never strike the rock as Moses did. Um, these, are, these are always God's people hmm. doing their best to understand what it means to be in mission together. But a place where um, 
pastors can talk about those unique struggles. I think there are peculiar sins that come with the pastoral role, and so there's a need for confession mm-hmm. to talk to each other about that, um, to um, pray over those movements of the soul that are uniquely that uniquely come with the role. Yeah. So there is that place. Now, um, uh, yeah, that can be done in other ways. Mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. the encouragement I've given to all of our uh, folks who have gone into pastoral roles is, is immediately find five or six other people that you can walk with and meet at least annually together to do that kind of work. So maybe you don't need to have a conference to do that, <laughs> lamenting and <laughs> confessing. But uh, yeah, it's a good. Or it's, I think it's a good space for it, though. And I, I, I would also add the word de-stress. Um, not that you're a different person at a pastor's conference um, as you are in the church, but somehow to be completely out of that environment is maybe a way to de-stress mm-hmm. and, um, and drink in and also be renewed intellectually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Ross, when you were pastoring yeah. at Peace Portal for those 11 years, some, some of your most fruitful years as a pastor, yeah. what was? Uh, did you come to Regent Pastors Conferences? What did you do? Did you really just ask that question, Christina? <laughs> <gasps> Is it a bad answer? Do we need to turn off the mics? I never came. I never came, and I repent of that deeply. <laughs> In my sixth year there, I started study at St. Andrews, and so I got lots of intellectual stimulation um, through studying there, but I was not a conference person. Mm-hmm. I think I went to two conferences in my whole life as a pastor of 20 years, and that's just bad. And I see how bad it is now, and here's why it's bad. Okay. See, I, I, the reason I did it often was I didn't want to jump on bandwagons. Mm-hmm. So I didn't mm-hmm. want to go to the purpose-driven conference. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go to the, this conference, that conference. Um, the latest gimmick. The latest gimmick. <clears throat> Regent Conference has always been not about gimmicks. We mm-hmm. want to try to maintain that. Mm-hmm. It's about being faithful pastors. Um, and we like to challenge the life of the mind. I would say that my mind went on neutral. I think one of the dangers of being the pastor is you get into a bubble intellectually that's limited by your environment. And not, right. Please hear me. I want to say that there are many intellectually rich people in every congregation who can probably um, you know, teach the pastor quite a lot. But what can happen is, I think you, you're in that environment for so long, you start to almost be limited in your thinking by what you're encountering in that environment, and you need bigger pictures. Mm-hmm. You need a bigger picture. And I really would encourage pastors not to do what I did, but to do what I encourage, is I think we do need to come to, past, you know, we do need to come to pastors' conferences. Sometimes um, we grow stale intellectually. Sometimes we grow cold spiritually. Uh, we do need... You do need to be ministered to. We don't have S's on our shirt for super, superman or superwoman. Mm-hmm. I think too often I carried that shirt and didn't see the need to be ministered to and to refresh myself. And yeah. so I, I, I lost out. So yeah. it, was, it was not good. Yeah, I think sometimes you can get a tunnel vision. I mean, I think it can. Ha- this can happen in a lot of different areas of work, but pastoral ministry, you get so so involved in in the minutia of your congregants, which is which is right to a certain degree. But sometimes then you think that um, the things that you're dealing with are 
everywhere in the world and you have trouble um, seeing from a new perspective. And so that's what I found helpful because there were certain times where I felt the same way. I'm like, I don't need to go to a really expensive conference that's really far away to take me away from what I'm doing. But on the occasions that I did, I always went back in some ways with a renewed love for my own people mm-hmm. because I realized that um, I had been too caught up in in the hard parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was so much also to celebrate. So I found that really meaningful for myself. Mm. I resisted conferences too. Mm. <laughs> um, well, and here's here's why. is Lord, forgive me if I... Um, so many of the conferences that were put on in the 70s, 80s, and 90s were um, about the latest trick to make your church great. Mm. Yeah, that's a danger. And, well, it's pretty fleshly on the one hand, and so many pastors leave those kind of conferences just discouraged. Mm-hmm. I w- was a speaker at one of those conferences. I was asked to do a biblical expositions in the morning. And then um, this other person um, did this th- latest things you need to do so your church will be successful. And uh, he did three presentations and then had to leave, and I was then left for the last day on my own. And as he left, I told him, I'm, gonna, I'm going to counterpoint you because you have left 200 pastors decimated and discouraged, and you've given them a vision for the church that the Lord may not honor. Not every church is going to be the greatest hip new church. And um, anyway, you can feel the tension. tension. And so um, I vowed that I would never be part of that kind of of a conference. And now, now, on the other hand, there was a conference that I did attend regularly. Do you know the name Bob Munger? No, I don't. Um, Just a great saint. He's most famous for the little book, My Heart, Christ Home. Uh, he was brought to Fuller Seminary in his latter years, and he took a, a number of us under wing. And when we graduated, he said, you need to form a group of pastors who will meet annually for one week. And so a group did, and the way it was set up is morning exposition so that we are in the Word and being refreshed, and then connecting with the support groups that went on beyond the annual conference, and then at night the speaker spoke to the movements of the soul of the pastor. Mm. I wouldn't miss that. Mm. And we went for five days, and it grew to be 250 folks. You didn't come to become anything. You came to sit in the Word, be refreshed, and then someone pastor you on, you know, how's your soul doing? Are you are you still in love with Jesus? Do you still love the church? Do you still have hope? Mm. And I mean, that that empowered people. Everyone went home with with encouragement and um, and deeply refreshed. So so anyway, when yeah, when, and that is one of the unique things that really pastors need to do with pastors. It's much harder to do that with your with your whole board in tow or something, isn't it? Yes, it is. But but um, but even that could be done mm-hmm. <laughs> because, as a matter of fact. Uh, our leaders face that kind of thing in their own work. How many mm. leaders go to, let's say they're selling insurance, and you go to a conference on selling insurance, and you just come away going, I can never live up to that. <laughs> I'll never make the $3 million mark. Yeah, um, Is that what it means to be faithful as an insurance broker? Yeah. Um, so I, I would imagine they have the similar kinds of needs just to be 
served and mm-hmm. to look at what's going on in my heart and am I doing this Jesus way? And yeah. So, and yeah, yeah. Well, another way to say that possibly is to, is to say pa- pastors' conferences ought to help us repent of and be weaned off the idols of money, sex, and power mm-hmm. and restore us to our intimacy with Christ and uh, to the faithful call to be in a parish, to be with the people. Um, that, I think that, that, those, that, that orientation is so easily lost. We just had Matt Canlis yesterday in Soul of Ministry speaking about yeah. his yeah. Um, Godspeed uh, video and the way in which he tried to live into uh, Eugene Eugene's uh, way of thinking of the pastorate and and living down into a parish. It's very moving. It's very oh, very good very thing good. to what I would recommend. And I think that's one of the things that we need to do at pastors' conferences is encourage people to be faithful, to be who they are, mm-hmm. um, and to to above all uh, live out their calling in the place of. Uh, sitting at Jesus' feet to hear his word. and Yeah, actually, on that note, it actually takes me to sort of the next topic I wanted to talk a little bit about more, which is the topic for our upcoming pastors' conference. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot in our current uh, sociopolitical climate which makes um, people feel discouraged. Um, so they look to their pastors to help guide them through how do we live in this, in this sort of um, day of polarized conversation of um, political geopolitical distress um, and I don't know necessarily that pastors always feel equipped to respond to that um, Oz Guinness author and social critic said this he said how we deal with our deepest religious and ideological differences in public life will be a defining issue for the future of humankind what do you think he means by that what I think he, you know, what I think he means by it is that the community of Christ, the Church, is meant to be um, an alternative community, the new community of Christ, um, the community of the gospel, and therefore we ought to be both a model and a participating influence in the state, in the public square. Um, I love what uh, Nicholas Walter Storff thinks about. The church is a community of justice because it's a community of the Trinity. Mm. And we tend to think of the, of the church being a community of love, and that's really important. Um, there's, a, there's a really important, I think, ethical piece there for the church, that we're a community of love. That means living into the great commandment, love God, love neighbor, which in my interpretation means um, that we live into the moral law of God, empowered by the love of God, and as a community we are... Um, we are, we are this community of love, but that's also, that also means we're a community of justice. Mm-hmm. And so Walter Sorf says, look at the way in which the persons of the Trinity treat each other. They are mutually affirming. Mm-hmm. We're not just learning about love, but what love means in terms of action. Um, so far, the Lord Jesus will say things like, I, I only do what I see my Father doing. I and my Father are one. Um, I want to glory, my, Father. I want to glorify you just as you glorified me. Uh, glorify, you know. Th- there, there, you have a sense of how people ought to be treated in the church, and you know, there's sort of a, a theological influence that has picked that up and really focused the depth of the community. And sometimes I worry that they forget that that community is 
is actually a community in ecstasis, or like the, the Trinity is a community of love that spills over out of that community, a communion of love that spills over into uh, creation and the redemption mm-hmm. of the world. The church also is not just to be this lovely community of love and justice for itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's meant to spill over communio in ecstasis, as what Alan Tarnes calls it. Um, and so uh, the church must not just model good love and justice, um, and good ethics. It's so also meant to speak somehow uh, and to be seen somehow in the public square. How do we do that? How do we do that yeah. in a gospel way? That's how do we how do we spill over mm-hmm. without um, offending everyone, without creating greater division? How do we be winsome in our mm-hmm. expressions of what we believe to be true and right and good? Yeah. And I guess that that's kind of. Maybe where Osgoodness was going as well. It's how we deal with our differences that's going to change the course of of how we of the future. Really. When did he write this? Great question. I'm not sure. Because this, I would almost think he wrote it in light of the last year in mm. uh, world politics. I mean, it's it's being demonstrated how you do not do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I take this to mean that um, kindness, um, honoring another human being's quest to understand reality, even if I don't agree with it, um, I, I think a key thing for life in the public square is listening. Um, yes, the church, we, we have a public gospel to declare in the public square, mm-hmm. but we also need to listen. Um, and I think the more we have a posture of listening, the more opportunity we'll have an opportunity to speak. Sometimes pastors are afraid, though, to send their congregants out to listen to people who are really different because they're not sure that, they're, that their congregants are firm enough in their own faith to be able to listen without being influenced. Well, I, so we yeah. go with them. Yeah, we go with them. Oh. Or, or we actually start teaching um, the church uh, around ethical issues. So they do have a robust way of thinking about it. And, and can I say, really stress this, an evangelical way of thinking. I don't mean capital E evangelical, a gospel way of thinking gospel about ethical issues. Yeah. Harawas, who's coming to Regent College, has this great, I don't, I don't have this correctly quoted here, but the essence of it is this. It's time for the church to start showing how living uh, the life of sexual purity is more beautiful than the life of sexual promiscuity. What he's, what he's saying is, um, do we really believe that the ethical way of Jesus, the ethical way of the kingdom, um, is actually more shalom-filled, more beautiful than the other ways? I mean, there are some hard ethical issues, and I'm, I'm not trying to encourage that everybody becomes a sort of public lobbyist. That's, that's not, I, I think, there may be some people called to that, but I don't think that's our primary. I just want, I want us to stop as, I think in Canada in particular, we are so afraid of our post-Christian public square that oh, yeah. we are retreating yes. mm-hmm. instead of advancing mm-hmm. and forgetting that um, the scope of the gospel is beyond the church to all of creation, to all of humanity, and that there's good news uh, for all of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know that there, there are difficult questions to answer in terms of how exactly we do that, but I think that has to be the, the, the framing thing. We're... We, we, we proclaim gospel, we proclaim shalom in our ethical stances, for example. Um, but we've, yeah. you, you were saying earlier, though, 
th- that the the city needs to actually see this lived out in a community. Yes. And I think that's the crisis of the church right now. Right. Right. right? <laughs> um, is this actually happening? Yeah. And could we point our um, seeking, not yet believing, um, city leaders to a place where it's working? Right. Mm-hmm. And where the community does live yeah. with mutual respect for one yes. another and has yes. healthy dynamics. And yes. So this this challenges us to be the church. Should be the church in the public square. Indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that always concerns me is we want our, we want to, we want as pastors to equip our congregation, but sometimes the amount of nuance that's required, um, we don't necessarily have the time to flesh that out, and then we get into the language of the culture wars. That's what I'm hearing yeah. right now. It feels like a resurgence of the culture wars, um, and so hmm. how do we, um, hmm. how do we build? build in a nuanced way so that our congregants can feel able to say publicly, well, you know what, I am a Christian, and to do it winsomely, um, non-judgmentally, but persuasively. Well, that's what the conference is going to be about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, from my perspective, I think what I'd like to nurture in, in um, Christian people is two things. One, Jesus Christ is already in the public square. Mm-hmm. We don't bring him. Amen. He's already there. God so loved the public square that he sent his son. Um, so, so how do we then, um, how do we train folks to be able to recognize how he is present and what he is saying there? And I know he's speaking in the public square because of the book of Proverbs. Just read this this morning. Proverbs one twenty to uh, twenty one. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts up her voice in the square. Mm-hmm. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her saying, "Saying, I have a way of life that'll work." Come. So, to realize that wisdom is doing that, even now, and then, so I step into a place where, yeah, it's going to feel threatening and. Um, I'm nervous and all of that, but I already know a secret. Wisdom is there and it's speaking already. So how are people already responding to that voice? Mm-hmm. I, I don't. This is probably too premature to say that, but I was deeply moved by these high school students. Yeah. I, I mean, whoa! Yeah. Is that a sign of where the world, what the world needs to be aware of? Uh, and I, I, they, they. They're sounding the cry of wisdom in the public square. There's got to be a different way. So now we step into that and nurture that cry and say, yes, cry. And by the way, here's some help. Mm -hmm. And by the way, your creator cares about this very thing. You've got the creator behind you when you want to see gun violence reduced. so that kind of thing. I, I yeah. like that, Daryl. The idea that Christ is already present in the public square. I, I love Oliver Donovan's work, Res- Resurrection of the Moral Order, in which he talks about the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ reaffirms creation, it reaffirms yeah. humanity. So our orientation as the church needs to be towards what God is already doing, what, he's doing. what God's desire and design is for humanity. Um, I think one of the challenges for the church today is that often preaching is focused in the church on personal piety. Mm-hmm. And not enough 
on what it means to be a Christian in the world, what it means, what vocation involves, what being a priest of, of creation. So for scientists, for example, what it means for scientists in your congregation to understand themselves as being priests in creation, those who give creation a voice, as Lauren Wilkinson would say, or Wilkinson would say. And, and so I think that's one of the challenges. I mean, do our people know what the relationship between church and state is in their heritage? Um, have they thought about the relationship of the church to the state um, but but all of the other raft of ethical issues that we can think about where we're losing the battle, it seems. Um, and there are a few voices out there, and sometimes they're not always the voices we want to hear out there. <laughs> um, how do we have winsome, shalom-filled, gospel-oriented, evangelical voices? Um, and we're not looking for a new Constantine, a Constantinian era, but we are looking to be salt and light, and Jesus spoke about yes. that. Yes. I think this is the defining question of our time, mm -hmm. for sure. Well, thank you guys so much. We're out of time. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. There is really so much more to say. Um, so please, um, dear audience, remember to go and visit rgnt.net slash pastors, where you can learn more about this year's Pastors and Leaders Conference, which is co-sponsored by Reframe, uh, Reframe, which is uh, Regent College's uh, video Bible study series that really is all about vocation and how we engage in every aspect of life. So the conference is called Ambassadors Christ in the Public Square, and we're going to be wrestling with issues like the ones that we've been talking about. Um, it's, it will be hosted by our own Ross Hastings, and the conference will also feature Regent President Jeff Greenman, Regent Professor of Biblical Studies Ian Proven. Executive Director of Evangelicals for Social Action, Nikki Toyama-Sito, Reverend John Philsame, who is Senior Pastor of Central Baptist Church in New York City, and Mike Baird, who's the former Premier of New South Wales in Australia, as well as a great complement of workshop leaders. You are not going to want to miss this conversation. And good news, early bird prices are still in effect until March 31st. So again, visit rgnt.net slash pastors, and let's continue the conversation. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R-G-N-T dot net. <laughs>